one, so there's only one thing that's better than being called coat, and the next thing is called dad, and uh, so there's a thing called both. And last night, um, it was my major league debut at the 530 service, and uh, after the service, Bob Schirmeister came up and he said, you know, I kept waiting for Coach Tim to come and go to bullpen. But uh, I was uh, fortunate enough to, to pick a complete game. And I just wonder, you know, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus was giving that statement on the mound, if you knew that there would be a guy standing up here in a baseball jersey, giving his take, giving his spin on that message. And did he ever think that a phrase from a movie, if you build it, he will come, would be used to relate to his message? And how about the concept of salt and light? And how could that possibly be related to the sport of baseball? I think Jesus knew. You know, Jesus used such ordinary things to communicate his message. You know, ordinary life experiences, as we see in his parables, and ordinary objects such as salt and light. And the message today focuses on those two, salt and light, and how they're fundamental to Christians. And it's really those two we're building within ourselves to draw others to Christ. And as we shared in our gospel reading by John, you know, we as believers are salt and light. You know, I need you to stay with me for a few so you can see where I'm going with this. You know, as a coach, I believe my, my primary responsibility is to provide instruction through encouragement and consistency. And this is exactly what Jesus did with his disciples. You know, through his love and his godly example, he created devoted, devoted, devoted followers out of a team that nobody would have ever selected. You know, you might say that these guys would have never been first on draft picks. You know, they might not have been fiftieth on draft picks. But Jesus shows us the transformative influence we can have on others when we build on his example. Coach baseball on three levels, Little League, Travel Ball, and the past 11 years at the high school level. And I reflect back on all the things that made teams successful, and it all came back to fundamentals. The ability to catch the ball, to field the ball, throw the ball, and back the ball. You know, we teach players that when throwing the ball, that they're to, uh, they're to separate the lines. They point their shoulders, keep their fingers on top of the ball. They're to stride with their legs and drive toward their target. When fielding the ball, we teach them, as you saw in the children's message, to receive the ball on their glove side ears. And that allows them to turn to an immediate playing position. Our infielders are taught to have their gloves open and down and step on the pitch. We have a batting tool. Such a basic, basic tool just to stand to hold the ball. 
And when we see pity, we go to those basic pity fundamentals. When you swing at a baseball, it's very, a very awkward thing for your torso to rotate violently and yet have your head stand where the ball is. So what we teach our players is that we exchange shoulders with our chin. So we tuck our chin in. And as our hips rotate, we simply exchange shoulders with our chin and thus keep our head down the back. We transfer our weight from our back legs to our front legs. And in doing so, we create what's called a launch angle. And the launch angle is where the ball gets barreled up. We drive it. It's a fungal bat. It's not a typical bat. It's a little bit different. It's one that coaches you. Um, this bat's a couple years old, and I bet you I've hit thousands of baseballs with that kind of bat. There's no such thing in baseball as fielding too many ground balls and too many fly balls. Constantly, constantly improving the game. The batting team. You would come to one of our practices, you see players grab a, a bucket of hard balls and a batting team stand in front of a net and stand there for some time to see kids here for hours. Striking that ball into a net, working on those same fundamentals that I just described. And you know, if you go early enough to a major league baseball game, it's so cool to see these professional athletes doing those very same drills. And I always think that from the time they were children to the time they reached this level of play, how many times, how many swings, how many throws, how many fly balls, ground balls have they fielded? over and over and over again. And it's all with the purpose of staying at the top of their game. I look at this, I look at this baseball and, you know, it's a, it's a dead object. It's nothing more than a tightly wound ball of twine wrapped in a leather cover. Got no brain. Got no energy. It has no direction. It can only do what we tell it to do. Kind of like us before we receive the Spirit of God in our hearts. It's kind of dead object with no direction, no energy. With baseball, when I throw it, it can go fast, it can go slow, it can go accurately, it can curve. When I bat it, it can go far, it can go into the ground. When it's batted at me, I can make a play on the ball, or I can allow the ball to play me. I did a transition this year into a new baseball program in Northville High School. And I had competed against them for years, um, and always had the highest admiration for the program. What had been built at Northville was amazing, and it was kind of the gold standard for high school baseball coaches here in Michigan. They've been to state championships. Um, if you played Northville, you had to be on your absolute A game, or they were going to take it to you. I received a call from their head coach, a gentleman by the name of Jonathan Sliwa, and he said, Hey, man, I'd like to talk to you. And uh, I was extremely honored. It was, it was very humbling, and, and uh, 
I went and I met with Coach Terry and we talked a little bit, and I think that we, we had a connection. And it was a connection of a, a, a perspective. You know, I've always thought different approaches and different thought processes of how I could motivate and encourage the players that I coach. I've always tried to build an understanding with the players that they could relate and grab the hold of. And Coach Terry had taken those principles to a level that I could never even imagine. And consequently, the influence that he had on me was I was rejuvenated, I was passionate, I was eager to get coaching again. This year, uh, we do a winter camp, and that's where the boys come into the gym and they do conditioning. It's not a baseball training session, it's conditioning. And it's done at 5.30 in the morning. The teachers put it up for the kids. And uh, Coach Terry had printed on the back of our teachers three words. I get to. You don't have to be anywhere. You get to. And that was the culture and the attitude that he wanted to build within his program. 5.30 in the morning, some mornings I'd get up and it was literally below zero. And I'd get to that gym and I'd see six to eight adult men coaches and 60 players in that gym working their butts off, committed, passionate. They didn't have to come there. They got to come there. And you didn't have to come here this morning. You got to come here this morning. You made a choice to come here and lose the class. So what does all of this have to do with salt and light and wealth? Well, let's first look at salt. You know, the obvious purpose of salt is to add flavor. You know, salt is white and it can represent purity. But today I want to focus on its other property, the one that I feel Jesus may have been referring to, and that's light as a preservative. Salt was and it is still used today to preserve and keep things from spoiling. So when we think of salt losing its saltiness, not only does it lose its flavor and lose its purity, it loses its ability to preserve and it allows things to spoil. Jesus said, we as Christians, as Jim said in our gospel message, that we're not to become salt and light, but people we are salt and light. So how is it that we preserve our faith? How is it that we stay on top of our game? But before we go there, let's talk for a minute about light. The obvious value of light is to overcome darkness. Provides us the ability to see where we're going and it guides us along our way. But that's referencing light as an external influence. But I think light has a far greater one, and that's the one that's influenced. It has an influence on our minds and our hearts. Sarah and I uh, frequent a restaurant in Northville, and we become friends with the owner and the staff. Really look forward to going there because we love seeing those people. The food is great, but the people are better. And we tell them that all the time. We love the food, but the people are better. And last weekend, we had a pleasure to tell our childhood friend Jerry spend the weekend with us. 
So we said, let's do it. Come on, we're going to take you off stage at Westbound. And we pulled up into the ballet, and the ladies got out of the car, and I stood there waiting to get my ballet ticket. And uh, a familiar patron pulled up in an Uber. And out of it, Jack was standing, his name is Jack. And Jack saw me, and I saw Jack, and uh, he smiled and went over the way to him, and I helped the Uber driver. He was walking out of the back seat of the car, and I held the door for Jack as he went through. And I went in and did my salesman thing, Mr. Kansas, and all the games. Hey, everybody, how's everybody doing? So nice to see everybody. Hope everybody's well. And as I was heading to our kind of our special table, I noticed that Carol and Jerry had Jack with us. I said, man, that's cool. That's pretty cool. Got to the table and extended my hand. Jack, Jack has a grip like a knife. And he grabbed my hand and he said, this is so special. Thank you for letting me join you tonight. I said, it's a privilege. Thank you for joining us tonight. Jeff's 98 years old. Gentleman's 98 years old. He was a retired automotive executive, a World War II pilot, and he was married for 62 years to his wife, Virginia. He said he called her bird, and that she was a peach. He also told us that she misses her every day. And we sat there at that table and we talked and we shared and we laughed out loud. And I was consciously thanking God that He had allowed me this experience. I was so grateful. I could feel the light of Christ shining at that table. I'm loud and Jack is hard of hearing. So I noticed the people sitting around us, they were hearing it, they were wondering what was going on, and they were smiling. They could see the light. From that table. That light continued because we insisted on driving Jack home to his assisted living facility. Don't get an Uber, Jack. I'll take you home. And the three of us drove Jack home. And after we had dropped him off, we drove back to my house and we were just in awe of what God had done that night and what a privilege it was. The following evening, we wrapped up our small group study here at St. Michael's with the degrees. And we had a plan we're going to do, you know, when we finished the last session and we were barbecuing and we're going to swim. We brought Jerry along with us. And uh, Jerry had a blast. He, uh, he couldn't believe the kindness and the sincerity of the people here. He was absolutely blown away by her weekend with the Adams. And she asked us how we had built such an amazing life and how she was so drawn to it. And when Jesus tells us that we're the light of the world, he tells us we have a tremendous influence and that we're to shine the light of Christ into every dark space we encounter. Dark places come in many different forms where darkness is a negative thought. The darkness of anger and hate and Sadness and grief. What about the dark actions we see people who do one another? The darkness of loneliness and hopelessness and poverty. The ravages of drugs and alcohol. You know, this indeed can be a very dark world. 
And we have a tremendous privilege and a responsibility to build up our house so that we can find the light of Christ in those dark places. Just like a baseball, without energy and without effort, lights can't come in. It requires action on our part. We don't place our light under a basket, but we put it up on our lampstand so it can illuminate the whole world. No different as a coach who seeks to improve his players and build a successful program, we too are to seek to improve the world around us. In sports, it's done through commitment and discipline. It's done collectively and through repetition and consistency. You see what I'm doing? Really no different with us as Christians. Our ability to be what Jesus tells us we are, salt and light, comes from the same principles. The big difference is that we play on a team that's already won. So what's the point we won? Well, why don't we trust and just wait for the day of glory? Because that's not what Jesus tells us to do. We will stop and light and go into a dark world and share the good news of Jesus Christ. We are to build ourselves in the people who draw others to Christ and the hope that we have in Him. If you build it, you will come. God made us all unique with many different gifts. And, you know, you might not be as out there as I am or, or Brenda or, uh, or Linda Denver. Your light may shine through your sincerity. It might shine through your kindness. It might shine through your ability to listen to somebody who's going through a, a difficult time. If you look for places to shine your light, you'll find them. At some point, we as Christians have recognized that we're separated by God by our sins. And that we've been forgiven and reconciled and restored to a right relationship through Christ. The Bible tells us we must be born again. But what do we do with this gift? The answer is that we share it. It's no different than a baseball player who seeks to develop their game and build themselves into a champion. We commit ourselves to this team to be champions for Jesus Christ. We do these things to make us better. And if we build it, you will come. I started to consider all the things that I can do to, to build and improve upon my game. Things like prayer and devotional, Bible study and small groups, volunteering and, and service, participating in ministries, Christian fellowship, having Christian friends, and last but not least, regular worship. I don't have to, but get to these are the drills that we can do to build ourselves in the champions for Christ. And if you build it, you will come. Let's pray.